Well, all right, Nate, now that we got them opened, uh, third bottle? Third bottle. Third bottle with Nate Gardner. Nate, it's good having you here. Uh, we've got you here in Boulder, Colorado. Normally you're at uh, Stowe, Vermont. So uh, what are you doing in town? I'm here for a couple of days to meet with the training managers from all the Vale Resort properties. So everybody's coming in from all around the country. Yep, we've got uh, Chris Rogers from Vale, Stacy Garish from Beaver Creek, Paul Bowman from Keystone, uh, Justin Soyne from Breckenridge, Eric Rolls from Park City, uh, Rachel Bauer from Heavenly, Martin Moore from North Star, and myself. So, I mean, you're really all coming together to what? Are you, what exactly are you working on? Uh, we're going to do some team bonding, and then we've got some projects in the mix to increase our input as training managers and bring some alignment amongst the resorts. And how does that work? I mean, Stowe's really different than, say, Vail or Beaver Creek or Heavenly. Yeah, we look to get some products or some pieces out there that can be global to all the resorts, but still allow for the flexibility for each resort to make it what it needs to be. And what is, I mean, I'm sure the guest service theme is the same at every one of the resorts. What is kind of your goal with the customer and with your staff? Uh, it's experience of a lifetime is, is the goal is to make sure our employees are having a great experience. They take that on to the guests. So the guests have a great experience and come back to either our resort or one of the Vail properties. Now, this is kind of leading us into our topic of discussion for tonight. You know, we titled this, Anybody Can Do This Job. Um, teaching skiing, though, if you take it as a profession, it, it can be fairly difficult. Yeah, it can be, but it, it can also be something that I think anybody can get into. And it doesn't matter whether you're coming from some of these epic big mountain, big skiing resorts, or if you're coming from a, a smaller place like the Midwest. And uh, by that, you kind of mean our roots and how we came up, right? I mean, I certainly didn't grow up at a ski area. Yeah, no, I mean, the first place I ever skied was Boston Mills in Ohio that, you know, some people know and some people don't. So what was it that actually led you to wanting to become a ski instructor? And, I mean, it really is kind of intimidating when you go to a tryout and you're with people that have grown up in that area and it's really been uh, a sport for them for a lifetime, whereas maybe you just picked it up uh, a few years ago. Yeah, I think... For me personally, it was a little bit different than I grew up in a ski school. My dad was a certified instructor for 16 years, uh, about 12 before I joined myself. So, you know, I had that inside knowledge and knew that that's what I wanted to do. But yeah, for the first time instructor, it can be a completely intimidating environment. So when you were a youngster growing up, watching your dad teach, growing up in that environment... Is this something you've wanted to do all your life? Uh, I don't know if it's something I knew I wanted to do when I was young. Um, I had a big focus on soccer as a high schooler and into college, but definitely skiing was always going to be a part of my life. And then having that background of being around a ski school, it was a pretty easy transition when my soccer career was done to move into that world. Now, Nate, I hate using myself as an example uh, for what we're talking about, but I mean, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and I loved skiing. I loved our ski trips. And uh, from my first lesson, I still remember Bobby Gale at Crested Butte when I was 13 years old. And watching him, I was like, I want to be that guy someday. Yeah, I think that's, I think a lot of us come from that place, whether you 
grow up in a ski school or you get introduced to it a little bit later in life, you start to draw on those experiences of your past to really sort of drive you forward. And, and that's why we get into this, right? We want to share a sport that we love. So we get into this to, to do exactly that. And I've got to say, it's still intimidating because those roots of growing up in the South are still there. And I, I don't look at myself as a good skier. In fact, I feel like that's kind of my weakest part of being an instructor. I, I feel like I can uh, have a lot of empathy for uh, the guests and really excel at teaching. But I always feel a little behind the people that skiing has been there for all of their lives. And I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I think if you if you look at a lot of the biographies of some of the top folks on our national team, you'll find out that a lot of them don't come from these big mountain backgrounds. You know, you've got Jonathan Ballou growing up in Michigan, uh, Bobby Murphy from Illinois, Sogard, uh, Terry Barber was from little parts of New York. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean just because you came from a small mountain, or even from a state that didn't even have ski mountains, that you can't excel in the sport. So what are some things we can do to recruit new blood into our job? Uh, I think if we can just be inspirational athletes and inspirational teachers, people will want to be us. They'll want to come in and, and they'll ask us, how do we do this job? I see those folks every year come through our hiring clinic who did two or three years of lessons with one of our pros and said, now, I want to be that guy, and I want to give that experience off to the next guest. And as a trainer, how do you really motivate people to want to become better teachers and skiers or snowboarders? Uh, you know, one of the things that I think is really important to always remember is that all of us go through this process in the same way. We all get our level ones, we all get our level twos, and then we move on from there if we choose. So, you know, motivation really comes down to getting them to be excited to, to share what they love. That's why we're here. And what do you look for in a new hire and uh, really in a returning instructor? Can you tell when somebody's maybe been into it and maybe it's just becoming a, a regular job for them? Yeah, I'm actually going into our big hiring time right now. And so a lot of what we look for is more personality and how people are in front of everyone else can they work as a team I, we don't care so much for how they ski we wouldn't be a ski school if we didn't teach people how to ski and i we can make any skier better whether it's a first timer or somebody with some 20 years of experience in skiing so we're really looking at the ability to interact with folks which then translates to their ability to interact with guests and what do you think it is inside of us that you know, really excels us to go for our level one, level two, level three? Uh, I think it turns into a bit of a just wanting to be able to give a better product. When we first get out there, a lot of it is about me and, and how am I going to survive the lesson, not lose my kids. But once we get some confidence of doing that, then it's like, all right, I want to be able to give a better product. I want to have more information that I can give to the guests so that they have a better experience. And as a trainer, how important is it to you that people are going after more advanced certifications? Is that really the only thing that we can do to improve as instructors? I don't think it's the only thing we can do is improve as instructors, but I really think it's the best way to force you into evaluating yourself, evaluating what your strengths are, 
seeing what your weaknesses are, and working on those weaknesses so that you provide a better product for our guests. Now, good question for you as a trainer. Uh, I know as a bike racer, I've got lots of weaknesses. In fact, there's so many, it's hard to focus on which weakness I need to train the most. But it's hard. I mean, you really want to focus on your strengths because that comes easy and it can be really frustrating to always be working on your weaknesses. And that is what we need to be trying to improve. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is a process of confidence to evaluate your weaknesses and then make some decisions about which ones you're going to work on and how you're going to break those down. And is that a weakness that you need to work on over the course of a couple of seasons? That makes a very long-term goal. Or is it something that maybe we can address in a couple of training sessions so you can move forward with something to practice on? And do you like it when instructors come to you just as individuals saying, hey, Nate, I really need to work on this? Yeah, I think that lends some structure to any sort of training time or clinic that I have. Um, When somebody comes in with a very specific thing, then we can sort of get to work right away with what it is we're going to address. If they come in a little bit vague or asking, hey, what do I need to work on? Then it can be a little bit longer process. And that can be kind of a tough question, too, because if I come to you saying, what do I need to work on? I might be uh, a little put off by all the things that you tell me. (laughs) I definitely don't try to hit people with a a list of things they need to work on. It's, It's like anytime we work with a guest, right? They come to us, they're coming to us specifically because they want to get better at skiing. We need to pretty quickly assess maybe one or two things we're going to work on in that half day or full day with that guest. And then that's really what we're going to target versus hitting them with a list of things that is just going to drive them away from the sport. Now, training is a huge part of Vail Resorts. I mean, you take this very seriously. Um, Why is that so important to the company? Uh, it's important for a few different reasons. We want to have a consistent message from resort to resort. Uh, We want to have the best pros from resort to resort, and we want to be able to give the guests the best experience, whether they're coming to Stowe, Mount Wilmot, Vail, Park City, or Heavenly. Now, as a brand new hire, I'm up, I'm going through my, my new hire training, As the trainer, what are things that you really want to see a new hire come out of that training with so that they're ready to go? Uh, Number one is to be on top of all of our safety pieces. That is kind of the utmost important thing for us is that you understand our policies that are keeping you safe and also keeping our guests safe. The next piece would just be understanding how a basic lesson progresses from introduction some playtime, an activity, and then a conclusion, maybe some more skiing or riding in that. And then I think third in that would be maybe some more specifics about how to work at a specific level or with a student that has is in a specific spot in their skiing. How much do you work with a new hire to get them up to speed? Um, for us, it's probably three or four days of initial training Then they get into their first lesson so they can kind of feel what it's like. And then we get back with them, spend a couple more days of some more focused training. Because at that point, they've seen our training. They've seen it in action in a lesson. Now they have some questions they can ask. And we can be a little more specific on the topics we're addressing. So do you actually shadow them teaching a class? Do you have them shadow a class where you're teaching? 
uh, we send them out with some of our most experienced coaches. And it's titled as a team teach. So the expectation is that they're not just a an observer of the lesson, but they're actually a participant getting involved with the class. Yes, they are watching the experienced coach for policies, for procedures, for some content, but we also want them out there and just trying things out. Kind of advice you could give someone who's thinking about getting into this and they're maybe uh, a little concerned about the time commitment or uh, the compensation. Uh, What are some real reasons that we should number one, get into this profession, number two, stay with it? Well, I don't think any of us is doing this for the money. I think we're all doing it because of the passion that we feel in our hearts and wanting to interact with people and share our love for the sport. So I think that's the number one thing to address with people is doing this because you love the sport and you want to pass that on. And let's kind of continue that train of thought with Someone who's been in the job for three, four, five years, but is maybe starting to think, gosh, I'm just not making a living doing this. What else could I do? Yeah, I think we need to look at maybe how they're approaching it. Are they holding themselves to a pretty specific area that's very small, doesn't have a lot of clientele? Are they able to give out a product that a lot of people can enjoy? And so, you know, we all make our best money generally in private lessons. And so creating some return guests from that helps us. How do we get those return guests? Well, we provide a great product that those folks want to come back and ski with us. Which, of course, leads to the question, well, I'm a new instructor. I uh, maybe don't have all my certifications, and so I'm not getting put on the private list. Yeah. and Motivation? <laughs> <laughs> and definitely that is a, a motivating factor. There is a little bit of a an earn your stripes piece to teaching skiing, but it's an important part in that you need to come in and and work on gaining that knowledge over a period of time. There's a reason why the exams are set up so that it's pretty difficult to do two levels in one season, nearly impossible to do three levels in a season. It just takes time to gain that knowledge and that experience so that you can put that great product out there. And I really like your opinion on this because, I mean... I've had a lot of lessons and I took lessons because I enjoyed ski lessons. I really had fun in class. And the instructor I remember most is the guy I said at the beginning of this show, Bobby Gale, the guy who taught me my first time. We'll never forget him. Um, having instructors on that first time lesson, you know, I think of beginner retention. And, and so what level instructor do we want teaching that first time class? Um, I think we want any level. We want What we really want is somebody who's passionate about it and, and can have fun with the guest, right? We want to first be safe. Second, we want to be fun. We want to take all that passion and the reason we're here in the mountains and show that off to the guests so that they want to be in the mountains with us. And that will help us create some retention. If we get very methodical and sort of down in the dumps about teaching those beginner lessons, they're my favorite lessons because I know... Just like when I do a level one exam, this is my chance to lock that person in to the sport. When I do a level one exam as an examiner, that's my chance to lock that pro into this profession. What's that like for you? Uh, do you still get to teach often? Yeah, I do. I, I, I teach not as much as I would like, but a, and a lot of times the lessons I'm teaching are some guests who maybe didn't have a great time before. 
But that's actually, I love that challenge. I love to turn that guest's experience around and know that I can get them to want to come back and not just leave the sport, but come back to my area. And you kind of take that same attitude into your training, I assume. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't want anybody to walk away from one of my clinics saying, I never want to ski with Nate again. I want to have people coming back and training because every time we get out and we ski together, we talk about it, we learn a little bit more. So I know this is going to be a huge and, and probably really involved question, but again, our topic is anybody can do this job, no matter what your background is. What's some advice you have for people who are maybe feeling a little intimidated going for their level one, level two, or level three to get them maybe not at ease, but things to really work on and focus on? Well, I think one thing is to be upfront with that unease that you're having. Talk to your training staff because everybody's been through it. All of my trainers that I worked with did a level one exam, did a level two exam, did a level three exam on up through ed staff. So we've all had that experience and we know where those nerves and where that anxiousness is coming from. So if you can be upfront with it, your trainers are more than happy to help you out. And actually really going through the levels you're talking about, that does become competitive, whereas the exams really aren't. I mean, as long as you meet the standard, you're going to pass, right? Yeah, I remember at my level one exam, uh, which I did in the Rocky Mountains, the examiner said to us, look, level one, level two, level three, you meet the standard, you get the pin. Everything after that kind of becomes a job interview. Really? So, I mean, that job interview is not only what you're doing physically on your skis or your snowboard, but also how you're interacting with your peers and how you're presenting. Yeah, completely. I mean, yes, there's a performance aspect to high-end skiing with examiners or national team members, but we also have to go out there and coach this stuff. And so we need to be lively and entertaining and, and inspirational to the rest of the education body. Now, I, I don't want to sound braggy, Nate, but I've never failed an exam. And yes, I have taken them. <laughs> <laughs> but you actually can learn a lot from maybe not being successful at something. Isn't that true? Oh, yeah. I think it personally, it is very true. I was in the same way. I was successful at the first three levels of the exams in three years. And when it was when I went to make that jump to being an ed staff position that I had my first no, you're not there yet moment. And that was a big gut check initially. But I was able to take the feedback that I got from those pros, make some changes that I needed to make. And then at the next time I stepped up to the plate, I was successful. And how did you stick with it? And what are some pointers you can give us when failure does come along to not get down where that's not motivating to, to move on from that? Um, I would say number one is remember why you're doing this. It's not for seeking a pin or seeking a position on the ed staff. We're all doing this because we love the sport and we love sliding on snow. Get that back into your mind. That's what I had to do. I needed to just set some things aside, go ski, go rip, remember that I love the sport. Then I could focus in on the feedback that I had received when I didn't make the dev team the first time. And then you've got some really specific things that you can train with your staff and, and really work on to get your success the next time you try? 
Yeah, I mean, it was for me, it was less tied to my skiing and more tied to how I presented myself. And I'm a pretty big guy. If people know me personally, they'll know that I'm six foot two and a little over 200 pounds. And so for me, I had a hard time sort of getting involved in the group. I always felt like I was overshadowing them because of my size. But in fact, the way that played out was that I looked disinterested. And I received some great feedback from from Jeb Boyd and from Mickey Sullivan in the East Coast to really say that, look, this is what you need to change to get to this next level. And I was able to work on that over a couple of years, go to the next dev team trial, and really show that I had made those changes. And I... In a way, that seems like something you could take really personally, especially if you're feeling like, but I wasn't disinterested at all. Yeah, I think there's one side of you that can take it personally. I think it takes another person to look at that and really say, okay, this was their viewpoint. And not just their viewpoint as the evaluator, because I think they were looking at it as, what if I'm in this clinic? What if I'm in this exam and Nate's leaning down on his poles and he's got his head down? Because... I am a listener. I love to listen to people talk, especially when they're doing their presentations. It took a lot for me to learn that I needed to listen both with my ears, but also with my eyes looking at folks. And if I put my head down, I'm going to look like I've checked out. And that could completely ruin somebody's exam if they look down and see the examiners staring at the tips of his skis. So kind of in conclusion, anybody can do this job. Anybody can succeed in this job, right? Oh, completely. It's set up for us to succeed in this job. The, each certification builds upon the next. The standards get a little more difficult, but it's not these huge jumps. So if you're taking the time to work through the certification, you're working with your trainers on your certification prep, and you're out there teaching this stuff, anybody can be successful. And as the training supervisor at Stowe, what are you looking for in your staff where at the end of the year, you're really going to write somebody a, a glowing review? Uh, I want to see them kind of putting it out there every day to give a great experience. I want to see them smiling even when they don't want to smile. Uh, and I want to see them really just showing a love of the sport. I, we can work on the technique we can work on the tactics. It's very hard, and this comes from personal knowledge, to change a personality. Nate Gardner, I really want to thank you for driving out to my house to do this interview <laughs> after you flew in for your uh, meeting that's going to start tomorrow. It's been great meeting you. Yeah, it was awesome to meet you, George, and I look forward to future conversations. Nate Gardner joining us here in Boulder, Colorado at our mobile studio. Uh, you've been listening to First Chair. I'm George Thomas.